following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I've, I've told you before that on Saturday mornings, I get up with the kids and we usually do something special for breakfast. We make something together, something sweet, something that they, they really enjoy. A couple weeks ago, Emerson and Hayden came down first and I'm like, what do you guys want to do for breakfast? And they look at me and they said, Casey's Donuts. I'm like, kiddos, kiddos. They're like, Dad, please, please can we get Casey's Donuts? Now, if you know me, there's no way I'm saying no to Casey's Donuts. But as a responsible parent, I had to pretend that like, I don't know if that's good. I, that's not good for, we can make better stuff here. Like it's, it's better for us. And okay, we can go get Casey's Donuts, right? So we, oh, I, I, grab their coats, shoes, Chase had come down, so we get in the van, and we drive to Casey's, and they're picking out their donuts, and it's great, and we buy the donuts, and we come home, and they sit at our counter, and get them their drinks, and I give them each a donut, and they just go to town, right? They're, they're just mowing down on these things, and I go, hey, kids, how are the donuts? Emerson goes, good, and Chase does this thing where he goes, ding, 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 <laughs> like that's his, or he goes, right? so he goes, ding, 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 okay, Hayden, how's the donut? She looks up at me, and she goes, with a mouth full of donut, best day ever, and there's donuts flying everywhere, like little pieces all over the place, best day ever. It's like 6.30 in the morning, okay? We've done nothing in this day, but go to get donuts, and it is the best day ever. Now, my kids have like three best days ever each week. But for this moment, Saturday morning with donuts, the best day ever. And when my kids have all these best days ever, I look at them, and I'm like, man, why don't I get that excited about everything? I mean, you know me. I get excited about donuts. But not enough to go, best day ever. See, the problem is, for us as adults, middle school, high school students, you'll find this as you get a little older, I'm sure. As adults, we just don't get excited enough about stuff, right? We don't get excited enough. We don't celebrate enough. And you know what? Let's moment of of honesty here with ourselves. You know what happens when we don't celebrate enough, when we don't rejoice enough, when we don't get excited enough about stuff? We become old, crotchety, and boring. (laughs) We just do, But what's worse than that, you know what's worse than being old, crotchety, and boring? Is that when we don't get excited about stuff, it doesn't reflect the truth of our faith. It doesn't reflect the truth that we know, the truths that we hold, that we cling to in Jesus Christ. See, through the book of Nehemiah, we've discussed our calling. We've discussed our our mission. We've discussed our need for repentance. We've discussed how God is molding us and shaping us and changing us in our lives. And that sounds like a lot of work, right? That sounds like a lot of hard work, a lot of effort that we have to put in. And don't we all just want our lives to be better and simpler and easier? We are people who seek the path of least resistance, We're like, Jesus, make me joyful and happy, but don't make me do anything for it. So this call to to change, to work, to put in effort, to repent of our sin sounds hard. And so we 
get to this place where we don't rejoice, we don't celebrate, we just put our heads down and try to do a little bit more, try to work a little harder, try to be a little better. And we become old, crotchety, and boring. And why would we, why would anyone looking at our lives look at us and go, I want that. I want that. That's what I want to be. See, today we're going to be reminded of one more truth through the book of Nehemiah, and that is that God is victorious. And because he is victorious, we don't just have to work harder, try more, do more in the Christian faith. There's work for us to do, yes, but we also get to celebrate Jesus Christ in all that he means to our lives. We're reminded that everything God does in and through us should blow us away at his love, his grace, his mercy, and his power. And we should rejoice like it's our job. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, it is our job to rejoice. So I'm going to ask you this one question before we go on. Would the people around you describe your faith as celebratory? Would they look at your life, look at your faith, and go, man, they rejoice. They are so happy to be a follower of Jesus. They celebrate this faith that they claim to hold. In other words, do our hearts reflect the victory we have in Jesus? Today's chapters are going to look at how the Israelites celebrated everything God did and everything God was doing and everything God would continue to do through the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And from this, we are going to learn how we can build a celebratory life of faith that points to Jesus and his work in our lives. And the first building block we're going to see here is that celebration begins with gratitude Celebration begins with gratitude. We're going to see this in Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 26. And I'm going to start just by reading uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the leaders of Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remained in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Okay, let's, let's stop right there for a second. Okay, the first thing I want to tell you is we're not going to read the rest of Nehemiah 11. So take a deep breath. Look ahead. Go ahead. If you haven't looked at it yet this week, look ahead at the rest of Nehemiah chapter 11. You're welcome. We're not going to read through all the names because what you have is this long list of names of the people who are chosen to settle in Jerusalem. Now, if we had time, we could go through and there's some really cool, significant things that happen in there, but you don't want me to preach for three hours this morning. Nobody said, okay, well, let's get into it. No, (laughs) no, but, but what we see here. Right, is that they're, they're repopulating the city of Jerusalem. We have to go all the way back to chapter 7. If you remember when we looked at chapter 7, verse 4, Nehemiah looks around after the walls had been built, and he says, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and no houses had yet been built. Right, they'd rebuilt the structure of Jerusalem. It was now safe to live there. But the people hadn't been there, so no one was living there. And here in, in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we get the solution. And... and It says that the the leaders and the people cast lots for one-tenth, one out of every ten people, to live in the city. Just for a second, in in the Hebrew language, one-tenth is the word tithe. 
right? It's where we get the idea that we tithe to the Lord. We give one-tenth back to him. This is what the, the people of Israel did. They tied the people of the nation to the city of Jerusalem, to God's work in the city of Jerusalem. So they cast lots, and one-tenth of the people move into Jerusalem. Again, these people are chosen by lots, right? Which is, it's hard to describe in our context because it sounds like gambling. But casting lots was basically throwing dice and trusting that God is going to lead those dice to land in the same place. Okay, it's a little more complex than that, but that's essentially what it is. They, they choose people and they trust that the Lord is leading and guiding that. So it's not their hearts, it's not their minds, it's not their decision of who goes. It is the Lord who chooses. So they, they choose this one-tenth by the casting of lots. And then it says something really interesting. If you look at this, right? They cast lots for one-tenth. And then in verse two, it says, the people bless the men who, what? Volunteered. Hold up. Hold up. Wait, what just happened in verse one? How were the people chosen? Did they volunteer? No, they were chosen by the casting of lots. They didn't choose. They didn't volunteer. But here it says they blessed the one-tenth who volunteered. Well, how does that work? You see, in the Jewish faith, their trust is in the Lord. Their trust is that God is doing the choosing. So even though they, they followed the casting of lots, they were grateful to be called by God to this mission of repopulating the city of Jerusalem. They were excited that they were, they were chosen by this casting of lots. They see it as God's divine choosing and they accept it as a gift from him. They are grateful that they're called to this work. Why? Because they know what God has done in the past. Right? They've already seen God overcome so, many, so much opposition to even build the wall. And before that, to bring them back. And back in their history to deliver them from Egypt, to call them as his people. They know what God does. They know who he is. And so they celebrate that God has called them. See, the celebration here is a grateful reflection on their past. Their joy in being chosen is a grateful reflection on the past, which is what every great celebration is, right? Really, every great celebration is a reflection on the past. Think for a second about birthdays. Why do we have birthday parties? Like, I can think about this for my kids. I don't have birthday parties to go, hey, congratulations, you survived another year. Good job. You accomplished something really great there, kiddo. Because right? I do all the work for keeping them, well, Aaron does. Aaron does all the work, but I'm standing close to her, so I take some credit for it. No, that's not what it is. We celebrate their birthday because we, we reflect on the fact that God gave them to us. God brought them into this world, and he's already done this incredible work through their lives. Look at all God has done. Look at how he has, has made them into human beings Right? Look at how God is working in their hearts and in their lives and how he is molding them and shaping them to be who he wants them to be. We celebrate that. We celebrate as a reflection of what has already happened. Settling in the city may not have been the first choice for any of the people of Jerusalem, but after all they'd seen God do, they gratefully respond with this heart of saying, hey, we don't have to do this. We get to do this. We get to carry out God's next calling in our lives. 
and they rejoice in gratitude. They celebrate with gratitude. Do you know any Christians, self-proclaiming Christians, who are miserable all the time? People are like, yeah, I, I love Jesus. And you're around them, and you're like, man, you are just miserable constantly. I'll guarantee you, those Christians have forgotten how to look back on what God has done. They haven't started building that celebration in gratitude. They've lost that sense of gratitude. Paul writes to the, the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, and he writes, Now, <clears throat> I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all baptized under the cloud, all passed through the sea, were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. What's that have to do with gratitude? Remember the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt? Remember all God did to bring them out? The miracles of the plagues, the deliverance through the sea on dry land? How he wiped out the Egyptian army? How God took care of them every step of the way? And do you remember how long it took them to start grumbling and complaining? When they got out of Egypt, three days. Everything God did in three days later, like, oh, nothing's the way we had hoped it would be. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't how I think it should be. God must have forgotten us. We should go back to Egypt because at least then we could eat. Yeah, we were enslaved. Yeah, we were oppressed. Yeah, remember we were crying out for God to hear us and to save us, and he did it? But I don't like the food here. Let's go back. Three days it took them. Three days for Israel to forget and get grumpy that things weren't the way they wanted it to be. You ever see that in your life? Because I do. See it in my life constantly. You know when I get in a bad mood? It's when I've forgotten everything God has done. And I start focusing on what's not the way I want it to be right now. But... When we gratefully remember all God has done, all he has brought us through, the victories he has won, the peace he has delivered, we're set up to live in celebration in our faith in Jesus Christ. So the challenge I'm going to give you today is this. How are you going to remember all God has done in your life so that you can build that foundation of gratitude to celebrate? I'm going to tell you some things that I've told you before. I do this in a couple of ways. Personally, I do it, I, I have a prayer journal that I write when prayer requests come up. And then when God answers those prayers, I can write that in the margin. I can go back and look at all these things God has done and all these prayers he has answered. I have notebooks in my office that are full of sermon notes that I've listened to over the years. And I can go back and I see these notes and I see little things that I've written in. And I see what God was doing in that time and how God spoke to me through that passage and what he did there. And maybe for you, there's other ways you're going to do this. Maybe you're somebody who likes to journal and you like to just sit and write down all that God has done. Find a time once, twice, three times a week where you just sit down and, and write out what God is doing. I have friends who have like the Ebenezer jars, which is just this jar, and they put, put a rock. Ebenezer means stone of help. It's a reminder of what God has done. And they'll just write a date on the rock and drop it in. And so whenever they look in that jar, they see these dates of when they know God has done some incredible thing. 
The point here is not that you have to do X, Y, and Z to build this foundation of gratitude. The point is this. You find whatever works for you to help you remember everything God has done in your life. Everything, the ways he has moved, the way he has loved you, the way he has provided for you. And whatever it is, never let yourself forget the victories of God in your life. Because the reality is this, and I know some of you go through deep, dark things in your life, and you're like, whoa, 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 how can I be grateful to God because I'm going through this, or I've been through this, or this has happened? No matter how awful things get in our lives, and again, I know our lives can get awful in this world sometimes, but it, no matter how awful things get, remember, God has saved us. He has loved you and called you into his family. If everything else is awful and you've got that, Shouldn't we be grateful? Yes. So what's our foundation for gratitude in our God? How are we going to live this week differently than last week so that we remember the joy and the hope that we have in our God? And that leads us to the second point here. When we start with and pardon the use of this phrase, when we start with an attitude of gratitude, and some of you are groaning when I say that, when we start with that attitude of gratitude, then we see how celebration erupts in joy. Celebration erupts in joy. Verses 27 through 43, and I, I want to just read a couple of verses in chapter 12 verses 27 through 43, and see how the Israelites' celebration erupts in joy. We start in verse 27. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, okay, so remember, a tenth of the people have, have been called and have moved into the city. They've set the city up to be healthy and strong. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. Okay, so again, with, with the, the walls of the city rebuilt, then now comes this time where the Israelites are going to dedicate this work to the Lord, dedicate this wall, dedicate this city back to the Lord remembering who God is, what he has done, and what he has given them. And they're going to do it with thanksgiving. You get down to verse 31. And Nehemiah says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on top of the wall, and I appointed two large processions that gave thanks. Okay, stop there. So this is how the celebration begins. They've all come to the city. They're going to rejoice with gratitude in what God has done. Start with this foundation of gratitude. And Nehemiah calls two, basically two parades up on top of the wall. And they're going to start in the, in the city, on, on the, the one end of the city wall, and then they're going to march in two processions. Two processions. Two processions around the walls, on top of the walls, with this singing, this Clanging of cymbals, this playing of harps, this rejoicing, this celebrating in gratitude all the way around. And then they're going to meet at the temple. Two processions meet. And in verse 43, skipping down, it says, On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. 
This is the description of the party they have when they meet at the temple to worship God because of what he had done. And, and in the Hebrew text, there, there's, there's a little difference, and I, I want to read you a, a little more literal translation of what the Hebrew text says. It says, They offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard from far away. Anybody want to guess what the emphatic Hebrew word is in that sentence? Any guesses? Any Hebrew scholars who can pick that out from what's going on there? It's joy. The Hebrew word for joy comes up five times in this one verse. They are celebrating. They came with thanksgiving, with gratitude, and what God had done. They're going to celebrate this moment that they have in worshiping him. When we look back and we begin with that foundation of gratitude for all God has done in the big things and the small things alike, then it's not hard to live in this moment with joy and in celebration. The psalmist in Psalm 96, verse 1 through 3 says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all the people. He says, understand what God has done. Know his works. Know his glory, his power, the way he has moved. And let that erupt with joy in your life. Or does it say sing to the joy when you're sing to the Lord with joy when you're happy? No. Does it say sing to the Lord with joy when everything's going your way? Does it say sing to the Lord with joy only for an hour on Sunday morning? No, he says when gratitude is in your heart, then in the moment you erupt with joy in who God is and what he is doing. Now, sometimes even when we know what God has done, we look back with gratitude. It's hard to be joyful in the moment, isn't it? It's hard to be joyful when things are difficult. It's hard to be joyful when a loved one is sick. It's hard to be joyful when our marriages are a battle. It's hard to be joyful in all kinds of things that happen in our lives. So if you struggle finding joy, or maybe you're somebody who's like, I, I have some joy, I'm a little joyful, but I'd like to be more joyful. Try this. Next time you're feeling less than joyful, ask yourself three questions. Three really simple questions. This is nothing new. You know these three questions. But ask yourself these three questions. First, what do I deserve? What do I deserve? And if your answer is anything other than death or nothing, you're wrong. Try again. What do I deserve? I deserve death or nothing. I've not earned anything. I don't deserve the stuff that I think I should have, the things that I think I have a right to, the things that I have convinced myself are mine are not mine. I don't deserve those things. I, when left to my own devices and my own strength, am a lost sinner who deserves to be put to death. So what do I deserve? And you're all depressed because you're thinking death or nothing. But then you ask yourself, well, what has God given me? Even though I deserve death or nothing at all, 
What has God given me? Well, he's given me life. He's given me his son, Jesus Christ, that I might live forever in his presence. All right, but maybe you go, well, that's great, but I don't, that's, that's kind of big scale stuff. Okay, let's talk about all the things God's given you in your life. If you're struggling to answer that question, get out a piece of paper and, and start writing things down. What has God given you? All right, whether it's members of your family. He's given you a church family. He's given you, I don't know, what are the things that God has given you that bring joy to your life? Maybe it's books. Maybe it's movies. Maybe it's the outdoor. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. But understand, if you really start writing down all the things God has given you, it will be hard to stop. For the first two or three minutes, you'll be like, uh, well, I, I guess this. I, I, but if you keep going like three minutes in, you'll be like, I can't stop. I can't stop. Like, your mind will just be flooded with all these things God has given you. But what, is God, what do we deserve? What has God given us? Number three, how then will I respond? If I deserve death or nothing, and God has given me all of this, how should I respond to that? See, the peace and the rest we get from reconciling those first two questions should leave us with nothing but a grateful reflection that bursts into joy in what Jesus Christ has done for us. So as you think about joy in your life right now, where do you look for joy? Where do you draw joy from? Is it work? Is it your retirement fund? Is it your car? Is it the newest gadget? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Or is it Jesus Christ? Because only one of all those things will deliver true, lasting meaningful, purposeful joy in your life. Where do you look for joy? So when we, when our lives are built on gratitude, which erupts into joy, we then learn, number three, that celebration leads to greater hope. Celebration leads to greater hope. Nehemiah chapter 12 Verse 44 through 47 says, On that same day, right, this is the day of the procession, their joyful uh, response to God. On that same day, men were placed in charge of the rooms that housed the supplies, contributions, first fruits, and tents. The, the legally required portions for the priests and Levites were gathered from the village fields because Judah was grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, along with the singers and gatekeepers, as David and his son Solomon had prescribed. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were heads of the singers and the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed to the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside daily portions for the Levites, and the Levites set aside daily portions for Aaron's descendants." Okay, this is the same day of dedication. There are men who are put in charge of going out and collecting the temple offerings for the work of the temple to continue, for the worship at the temple to continue. And these offerings were given gratefully by the people of Israel because of what they knew God had already done. 
They saw God's power. They, they've seen God's deliverance. They've seen this might. They've celebrated who he is and all he has done. And so now they give gratefully because they have a hope in what God will continue to do. They recognize that as they remain faithful to the Lord, not forsaking him, not turning back as their ancestors had done, that God will continue to take care of them. Their gratitude and joy gives them hope for the future. And we always remember when we talk about hope in the biblical sense, we're not talking about fingers crossed wishes, right? Oh, I, I hope, I hope this will happen. We're talking about the confidence in the things God has already guaranteed. If you've been watching the, the NCAA basketball tournament, this is the, one of the biggest sports events in the United States in the year. And some of you watch and you have a favorite team and you watch and you hope your team's going to win. Right? That's the world's idea of hope. You don't know what's going to happen. Biblical hope is recording the game, knowing the outcome, and then watching it. Because you still, you still watch like, oh, I hope they make the shot. Oh, I hope they, oh no, they're behind by 10. But you know the outcome. So there's a confidence that you have when you watch. When we understand who God is, when we are grateful for what he has done, when we are joyful in what he is doing and the work that is going on right now, we have this hope, this confidence that he will continue to do what only he can do because we know that that's what God does. And there's this cycle in our lives that, that feeds itself when we live in this kind of celebration because we're grateful and that, great, that gratitude leads us to joy and that joy deepens our hope and that deeper hope reminds us to look back in gratitude at all God has done, which brings us greater joy, which leads to a deeper hope and this goes on and on and on and the cycle feeds itself. To live in celebration of the love God has for us, we must live in the hope of God's love for us in that confidence of knowing what he has already done, knowing who he is, knowing that he will continue to be who he is. It's remembering the, the many promises that God has made in our lives. If we are faithful to knowing and loving and serving him, right, well, what, are, what are those promises? What are all those things that we can know are going to happen? Well, let's look at a couple of them. We can be confident in hope because we know that our God is faithful to forgive us. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can have the hope that God is faithful to provide for us. In Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, God will supply your needs according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus, right? He will supply your needs. Now he'll give us most of what you need, he will supply your needs. We know that God is faithful to protect us. In James 4, 7, James writes, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We know that God is faithful to never leave us. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, in one of his final messages to the people of Israel, Moses says to them and reminds them of what God has said to him. And he says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of the Canaanites. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. We know that God is faithful to empower us. 
Colossians 1, verse 11 and 12 says, Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. We know that God is faithful to give us eternal life. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that some might be saved. that everyone who believes would be saved. Not everyone who believes and is a good enough person. Not everyone who believes but has a clean enough past. Not everyone who believes but is really nice enough. Faith in Jesus Christ gives us eternal life because we serve a God of all creation, the one who spoke this world and this creation into being with nothing but a word from his mouth and created mankind to love him and serve him, and gave us this perfect creation of the Garden of Eden to to live in, and said, listen, hang out here. It's awesome. Just don't eat from that one tree. And Adam and Eve, as you and I would, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, Adam and Eve do the one thing they're not to do. And so sin enters that perfect creation and works its way through generation after generation after generation, leading us to reject our God time and time and time again, even though God offers his redemption and his forgiveness time and time and time and time again. And God says, okay, you want to reject me? You want to walk away? That's fine. Here's how you can get back to me. Here's the law. Here's everything you have to do to live perfectly, knowing full well that we were going to fail at that every step along the way. And so we tried to live according to that law, failing, revealing to ourselves and everyone around us that we're not good enough to make our way back to God. And God should have, in all reasonable logic, just left us there and said, you can't do it, tough. Figure it out or stay away. But instead, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, to rise victoriously, to deliver us completely from the sin and the death that we deserve so we could spend eternity in the presence of our heavenly Father, worshiping him, being washed clean, Also, that we might live in this life in the knowledge of who he is and what he has done, that we might celebrate that faith in our lives and spend eternity in his presence. That is the hope that we have, church. It's not, it's not that our jobs are going to go well or that our families are going to be healthy or that we are going to be strong and successful. We live in the hope that Jesus Christ is victorious and has delivered us and has loved us and has saved us and has brought us into his family. We have hope. Are we excited about the hope we have in Jesus Christ Man, I'd love to tell you I'm always excited about that. I would be lying through my teeth. I forget sometimes. I forget and I lose my way. And I need God's word to remind me. I need God's voice to remind me, whoa, 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 Jonathan. Remember that hope? Where's your hope? Is our hope in Jesus. In Jesus Christ, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have received the greatest gift in the history of mankind. We've been redeemed from our sin and delivered into our God's kingdom. 
We've received the love of our perfectly heavenly Father. We have received the hope of eternal life. We've received the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. We've received the joy of victory over the oppression of this world. We've received the strength of the unity of the family, the body of Christ. We've received the hope of the purpose that sustains us through the doubts and the confusion of the culture around us. We've received the light that leads us in the midst of the trials that we endure. And so much more. How can we exist in misery and bitterness and anger when we've been given such undeserved blessings? When we truly consider what God has done, we cannot help but be grateful for what he has done, be joyful in what he is doing, and be hopeful in what he will continue to do. Church family, may we be a people who are known for the way our hearts celebrate in gratitude, joy, and hope because we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And as we walk through a world that is unsatisfied, is angry, and is discouraged, may we be prepared to share our gratitude, joy, and hope with them through the truth of Jesus Christ, through all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that he will continue to do. Let's pray together. Father God, we are just grateful for who you are. And we can get wrapped up in our lives and our weeks and all the things going, around, going on around us and we can forget just how amazing you are. But Father, this morning as we open your word, as we talk about the, the, the truth of your work, may we be reminded that we should have nothing but gratitude for all that you have done. And may that gratitude lead us to a joyful response in the moment. And what you continue to do, and the fact that you call us to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of your work, to participate in your program of bringing redemption and salvation to your beloved creation. And that may we have hope because we know that none of this depends on us. It is all about you. It is all about what you have delivered. And so may we celebrate the fact that, man, no matter how dark the night may be, we know the dawn is coming. Because you've already won the victory. May we be a people who celebrate. Sing hallelujah, praise be to our King, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.